Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Good morning. Um, where's Peter Howard? Peter, did he run for his life? Did he literally flee the scene? I love Peter, and I think he does a great job up here. And um, I love the way he's just able to laugh at himself and, and roll with it. And so um, when you get a chance, throw an arm around him, tell him you love and appreciate what he does, okay? Steve, I want to thank you for uh, modeling to the congregation what you try to lead us all to do. You and Gina are servants of God. Um, every time that this church has said, hey, could you please, you guys always say yes. And then most of the time, you don't wait for us to ask again. You come and say, hey, what if we could do whatever? And I just want to thank you guys for modeling in joyful fashion um, this whole business of service as the real life of, of Christ followers. And uh, I would encourage you to, to talk to Steve if you haven't yet about Family Promise. We talk about it just like everybody knows what it is. Steve did a good job of explaining it here before, but um, I'm, I'm signing up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start helping with Family Promise, and I want to encourage some of you to, to ask the question and dig a little bit deeper and try it on for size. Did you know you can do that? You can try it on for size. You're not committing until the Lord Jesus returns to be a part of Family Promise if you just go and say, I'm going to try and see if if this will fit me. So I want to encourage you to do that. I also just want to highlight a couple of things that Peter mentioned to you this morning earlier. Um, We have a couple of really good opportunities in in front of us, and they are both free. Among the, the responsibilities of churches and pastors and boards is that we equip our people to live as followers of Jesus Christ instead of of simply lecturing and telling you that you ought to. And so we have these two opportunities coming up. One, the mix, which is ministry training kind of things. And then the other is passionate parenting. And as I survey the landscape of parenting in the country today, um, I'm really excited about the Passionate Parenting Conference. And Peter mentioned current parents, soon-to-be parents. I want to I want to cast vision before another group of people who are seated in the sanctuary today. How about grandparents? Grandparents, uh, I, I think, are needed more than ever to make their faith count for their grandkids in our culture. Many of you who are grandparents, I know, have been praying that your kids would find their way back to Christ, that they would influence your grandchildren for Christ. And some of them are going to. And some of them, it probably seems like they're never going to. And guess what, Grandma and Grandpa? What you say and what you do matters in the eyes of your grandchildren. And with uh, more and more and more grandparents put in the position to raise their grandchildren in this culture, I think it's time for the people of God who thought they were past their parenting years to come and learn a little bit more about parenting in this day and age so that you can be uh, an asset in, in your family and in your neighborhood. We would even go so far as to let aunts and uncles who want to make a difference in their family to come. And uh, we've budgeted money uh, that you give every single week to do all kinds of things in the community. And one of the things we've budgeted for uh, are, are these two conferences that you can come and participate in for free. 
And we would very much like it if you'd invite your neighbors as well. And it does help us to plan for meals and those kinds of things if you just contact the church office to, uh, to register. It's a real informal registration. It's calling and saying, I'm coming, and I'm bringing two guests. Okay? Don't have forms. Don't need your social security number or any of that. There's no special app for you to download. Just call the church office and let us know. Okay? All right. Well, we Christians spend uh, an awful lot of time digging around in the Jewish Bible. Um, we've made it part of our Bible, too. We refer to it as the Old Testament, the, the first part of our Bible. But the Old Testament is deeply Jewish and purposely so. The New Testament is more of a book that's kind of in the process of transition, meaning that it starts out as a very Jewish book in terms of voice and beliefs and, and worldview but over the, the course of the New Testament, the further you get into it, the more, uh, say, thoroughly Christian it becomes, not with any disrespect toward its Jewish roots. It's just that times, they were a-changing. And as the gospel started to take root all around the Mediterranean world, it began to uh, impact and convince a number of people who were not raised as Jews, who were raised either irreligious or uh, part of some other world religion. And as those people came to accept Christ as Savior and Lord and to live for him, they brought their culture and their beliefs. And this whole thing gets stirred up in the New Testament so that by the time we get to the end of the New Testament, it's not very Jewish or not as much as it was anyway at the beginning of the New Testament. So we got this Old Testament, very Jewish all the way through, New Testament that's kind of this transition from from a, a Jewish religion religious understanding to a more thoroughly Christian one. And that means that the Old Testament and the New Testament have very widely divergent beliefs, uh, very widely differing um, perspectives on a number of issues. And the one that would concern us the most this morning is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament understandings of the Holy Spirit. Who is this guy and who is uh, this God and what is he up to in this world around us? And that's really what we've been studying for the last month now. And we began our study with the very first book of the Bible back there in that Jewish Bible, Old Testament, book of Genesis. Eventually, we're going to end up in the New Testament, and we will gain a thoroughly Christian understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, how he works in us, how he works in his world, but understand that we're talking about the very same Holy Spirit that we discovered in the second verse of the Bible. That New Testament understanding is built very much on Old Testament foundations, and that's why for these next few weeks and for the last several, we've been working our way through that Jewish Bible, through that Old Testament understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, I'm going to do a little more of that foundation work this morning. So I have a story that I need to tell us in order to, to sort of catch us up to the passage that I want to focus on this morning. I'm going to try to do that with kind of a flyover 30,000 foot view kind of, kind of approach to setting the stage. Um, the nation of, of Israel, if you know where Israel is on the map today, the modern nation of Israel, then you know where the nation of Israel was located thousands of years ago. It's the same piece of real estate with a little bit dif uh, difference uh, along its borders. But the people that lived within the ancient nation of Israel were first just 12 loosely confederated tribes. They had a common ancestor, a man named Abraham. It was through him and his family that the whole nation of Israel had descended. But they had, they had kind of um, separated 
into tribal peoples, but they had this confederation, meaning they agreed to not be enemies, but they really didn't make very good friends either, and each of those tribes wanted their autonomy. They wanted, they wanted to be their own people. And so this confederation of tribes kind of banged into each other and sometimes held on to each other in defense against the neighbors around them for quite a while until God sent them a leader who, whose sole purpose really was to unite these tribes and make them one nation. And his name was Moses. Moses did a fairly good job of it, wouldn't you say, if it's a nation of people that despite a handful of really hard trials down through the years, being overrun by their enemies, being run out of their homeland, still manage to exist with a common identity today. That's, a, that's a, a testimony to some pretty powerful leadership in the very beginning. Well, after Moses passed away, they had a, a, a series of a number of, of, of different kinds of national leaders. And for whatever reason, it never seems like they were able to get more than one good one in a row, sometimes on rare occasions too. They'd have these great leaders and they'd have these poor leaders. Too bad they weren't as consistent as us with presidents, huh? That, that was supposed to be funny and now it's just not. So they had this series of, of different kinds of leaders, never more than the one good one in a row. And, and because of that, the, the people became dissatisfied, and, and, and there, there came about sort of a, a grassroots movement to form a more permanent and, they thought, stable kind of government. And so they looked at the nations around them, primarily the ones that would get military defeat over them on occasion, and they said, we should be more like those folks. And so they went to their leader of the day. His name was Samuel. He was, he was this strange leader in that he was, he was a priest, but also a prophet. We talked about the prophets a few weeks ago. If you don't remember what the prophets were, you're going to have to go back and listen to, uh, listen to, to that on the, the podcast. But here was this incredible character. He was the head of religious life in Israel. He was the head of political life in Israel. He was the head of Israel. And the people came to him one day and said, Samuel, it's been great, but we want a different leader. He kind of took it personally, as every single one of us would have. And so he went and he cried to God about it. He told him first, you don't want a king? King's going to tax you. King's going to uh, draft the young men into the military. King's going to take your daughters and make them his wives, and you're going to have nothing to say about it. And they said, it still sounds good to us. Kept pushing him, so he went to God, and he was complaining about, they've rejected me, God. And God says, Samuel, it's not you. (laughs) It's not you. It's me. And really, he said, it's not you. It's me. They've, They've rejected me. So they want a king. I'll find them one. And so the story goes on. We learn that that he chooses, God chooses for Israel, a man by the name of Saul. Saul um, Saul was an interesting character for a number of reasons. He had the stuff that most powerful political leaders um, have that gets them into office. He was really tall. He He was the tallest man in his entire nation, and he was crazy good looking. And that really is about all it takes to get elected by most people. Um, that was, that was kind of what Saul had to offer. 
He, he wasn't very assertive. He wasn't very strong. He was just, uh, he was a, a farmer boy, but he was a tall, good-looking farmer boy, and folks decided that uh, that, that made good king material, and, and God selected him. And so, here's, here's Samuel, who's crying to God. God says, it, it's not you, it's me. They've rejected me. I'll pick Saul, and now you, Samuel, get this, you, Samuel, the guy they're rejecting, you have to go and pass the torch to the guy that I've chosen, make the handoff, and the thing that's made you a good leader, Samuel, you've been filled with my Holy Spirit. You now anoint this new guy so that he's not left with just good looks and height. Make sure that, that you go through this ceremony. It was called anointing, and they'd take some oil that had been consecrated to God, and they pour it over the guy's head. Initially, that was reserved only for priests. Priests were expected to do their work under the power of the Holy Spirit. So they would pour oil on these guys, and, and in this ceremony, they expected God to be at work. And as the oil flowed down over them and their robes and their beards, that the Holy Spirit would come and live in them, purify their hearts, give them wisdom, and give them uh, spiritual discernment, and enable them to lead. And that had been reserved for priests only, and then for the prophets. And then God says, now let's do that for kings. And so, we come to our story today. It's 1 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading with verse 1. Lord, as we read, I would ask that you would just highlight what it is that you, you want us to understand. Then once we recognize the truth, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves and become obedient to it. Start with me. I pray in your holy name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. By the way, he was on a search and rescue mission. His father's flock of donkeys, his flock, herd, school, bunch of donkeys had taken off, okay? And uh, Saul had been searching for them. He finally gave up looking and said uh, to one of the locals, hey, I heard there's a seer around here. Seer was the old, old term for a guy who was given ability to understand by God's Holy Spirit. So a prophet. He said, I heard there's a seer around here and I wonder if he can see where the donkeys are. So he went and found, found Samuel. And that's when this conversation takes place. Samuel is saying, Head on down to Rachel's tomb. You're going to meet some guys. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. Now your father stopped thinking about them. He's worried about you. He's asking, what should I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. And three men going up to worship at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. And that just sounds like a really interesting juggling act to me. I don't know about you, but if I'm headed uh, anywhere to worship and I'm carrying anything, I don't want to be the guy who has to carry three goats, okay? But there's a guy carrying three goats, a guy carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. They'll greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. After that, you'll go to Gibeah of God, where there's a Philistine outpost. Philistines are their enemies. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps. Those are all musical instruments being played before them, and they will be prophesying. Here's just a little note. 
This particular word that shows up in this passage for prophesying, in other settings, that same word means worshiping. Does that not make a little more sense as we read the passage about all these musical instruments being played and these guys who are coming down? And why would those two words be similar? Why, why, would, why would the word mean either prophesying or, or worshiping? It's because in both of them, you are telling the truth about God. Okay? So we've got these prophets full of God's Holy Spirit. They're worshiping singing the truth about God as they go along, and Saul is going to run into him. And Samuel says this, when you run into them, the Spirit of the Lord, who's in them, will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy, worship with them, and you will be changed into a different person. And once these signs are fulfilled, you do whatever your hand finds to do because God's with you. So you get the picture, right? Here's this guy looking for donkeys. He tries to find the prophet because he can't find the donkeys. Prophet says donkeys have already been found. The, this, the point of this whole expedition really was for you to come to me and uh, for the Holy Spirit to come to you. And so you head over to find these other prophets and when you see them and you've seen these other signs along the way that help you understand that I'm telling you the truth, I'm foretelling the future as a true prophet of God, that then when you come across these people who are prophesying or worshiping under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is then going to come upon you powerfully. The, the original text here actually says that the Spirit of God is going to rush upon you. As though he's coming fast, he's coming hard, and he will not stop until he's gotten a hold of you. And the result of that, he said, is you're just going to be a different guy. When the Holy Spirit came and rushed upon Saul, he would be transformed into a different kind of person. If you go and read further in that text from 1 Samuel chapter 10, you'll see, sure enough, that's what happened. Holy Spirit rushed upon him, came powerfully upon him, and his heart was changed in that moment. Whenever you have a change of heart, then the change of actions come because your actions flow out of your heart. There's a point for us to learn as we get to this point in the story. And that is that when the Spirit of God is invited by any person to come into their lives, he doesn't hold out. He doesn't come half-heartedly. But instead, get the picture. God has been waiting to get the invitation. The Holy Spirit's been waiting for the green light from you. And when you act interested, so far as to say, I, I, I think... I want to do life with you, God. The Holy Spirit comes bursting out of the gate, throws his arms open wide, charges probably a little faster than you will be comfortable with, and he's going to close the gap between you and God, get a hold of you, wrap you up good and tight, and enter into an intimate, close, tight, personal relationship with you because he's eager to do it. He's been waiting since before you were born 
for the chance to have a relationship with you. He's been working to put the pieces together in your life to get you to the place where you'd be ready for that. He's been waiting. So Saul runs into this group of prophets. Bam, Holy Spirit comes upon him. He's a changed man. And he sets off on the business of leading the people of Israel. But strangely enough, after we hear this incredible story of how God partners with him, Saul begins to drift away from God. Drifting in this way. When given orders by God through the prophet, same prophet who told him how this other stuff was going to happen, when he knew clearly what it took to be obedient to God, Saul on a couple of occasions went, I think I know better what to do. And so he assumed that he was wiser than God in the moment, spiritual pride, and then knowing full well, flat out disobeyed the word of the Lord. And strangely enough, though this man had been filled with God's Holy Spirit, he suddenly found himself with a growing gap in there before, the gap that the Holy Spirit had closed by rushing upon him. Saul opened back up by spiritual pride. Uh, I know how to live my life. Uh, I'll do it my way. Uh, God, you'll have to understand. And becoming disobedient. So God chose a new king. He said, I can't have a king like that. So he chose a new king. And so he sends uh, Samuel to this new guy. He's a rather unlikely guy. He's not nearly as tall. He's not nearly as good looking. The text says he probably had some sort of... um, Uh, complexion problem, and his name was David. His own dad forgot to invite him to the uh, let's see who the king pageant is, and the prophet had to ask him, are you sure you don't have any more sons? Oh, yeah, there's the ugly one that we make live out with the sheep, so they went and got him. Turns out he was the one that God had chosen. But as it turns out, this one who on the outward appearance wasn't much was already quite a bit like God at the level of his own heart. So instead of the text telling us that God then changed his heart, it says that he then equipped David to lead effectively and righteously. And you can see that in chapter 16. And so once God had come and, and in the person of his Holy Spirit and filled this new king, he withdrew from the old king. And understand this, that every bit as much as you will be a changed person when the Holy Spirit fills you, you will also be changed if he withdraws from you. And the Holy Spirit, we read, withdrew from Saul, chapter 16, verse 14. And because of that, he was changed. And he became a darkened person in his outlook on life. And and the text actually goes so far as to say that God himself then sent a torturing spirit and a, a, a dark spirit that afflicted this man. Hmm. Well, David, the new king... Um, has to dodge a little bit to become the king because this one, Saul, who had been God's chosen, who'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, ends up becoming murderous and tries to take out David on numerous occasions. He ends up then, Saul, dying by his own hand. He commits suicide. David goes on to rule justly and to rule well at first, but then he begins to drift as well. Why? Same reason. Spiritual pride direct disobedience, and as a result, he becomes a murderer. 
So here's these two guys. They're both filled with God's Holy Spirit. They end up murderous. They end up deep, deep, deeply sinful. Now, why? The answer is this, that at some point along the way, they quit courting the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who had rushed upon them, couldn't wait to close the gap, couldn't wait to come and do life with them, couldn't wait to empower them, to to give them wisdom and and strength and all the things that they needed to, to rule the people justly. They quit courting his presence in their lives. See, they were kings. They were busy people. So they had a lot of things to do, important things to do, and they got distracted by those tasks. Maybe... Maybe like us, huh? They were riding the wave of their own success and wealth. Maybe maybe like a lot of us. They they settled into uh, good enough spirituality. Maybe, Maybe like us. And shortly, they found themselves miles and miles away from the God who wanted nothing more than to rush in again. Jesus said that if you're hungry and thirsty for spiritual things, you will be filled. And the implication is that if you're not, you won't. And these two guys quit courting the Holy Spirit, quit being hungry and thirsty for him. So, as a result, both men fell into horrible sin, but their stories ended very differently. Saul ends up falling completely away from God, takes his own life. David doesn't. David has a real change of heart, and his prospects then changed. He became Israel's greatest king, a man through whom God would choose to bring Jesus, the Redeemer, into this world. And the difference between these two, these two guys' futures and endings is all based on their response to the Spirit's message to them, which in their day came through a prophet. Remember the prophet's job of foretelling the truth and foretelling the future? Prophet came and spoke to each one of these guys. First prophet, Samuel, came and, and spoke to Saul and said, Hey, wake up. You're far from God. Turn away from your sin. Turn back toward God. The God who rushed toward you, rushed toward him. Let's, let's fix this thing. But Saul wouldn't do it. Saul strove instead to maintain the appearance of being a godly person. He then reacted to the prophet very negatively, actually got kind of physically violent with him, like he was going to try to restrain the prophet and maybe thereby hold on to God. Ended up, as I mentioned, tormented. But David had a prophet come to him as well and confront him with his sin. His name was Nathan. And when Nathan came and said, wake up, son, you've turned your back on God. Turn back toward him. The God who rushed toward you rushed toward him. Let's change this thing. David responded favorably to the word of the Lord, to the word of the Holy Spirit through the prophet. You see, here's what he did. And, And Carolyn read it for us earlier from from the Jewish songbook, the Psalms, chapter 51. David confessed that he recognized a real difference between him and God. You see, in this passage, um, let's go to the next slide, Luke. 
Next slide. It's chapter 51. It's verses 10 and 11 of Psalms. You will see, check it out. Create me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. The, the assumption is I don't have a pure heart and I need you to do something. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. It's the first time that the word Holy Spirit appears in the Bible. Always before that, he's referred to as the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. But this song, David himself wrote after the prophet came and pointed the bony finger, the bony prophetic finger in his face and confronted him with his sin. This is David's response. David confesses his sin and he says, there's something about God's Spirit that's true of God's spirit, but not true of me. He's holy. And because of that, he humbled himself, he asked for forgiveness, and he, he asked God to come and change his heart. David confessed a recognized difference between him and the Spirit of God. It called him the Holy Spirit. Recognized that he was sinful. And when he saw his own personal sin, he confessed his dependence upon God. He repented, and then he begged the Holy Spirit to keep walking with him and to then do the business of repairing his heart. He courted the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you just felt like you really got spiritually off track? Lord, help us that you didn't become murderous. If you did, please do not come tell me. Um, I think I have to report those things. Um, um, Actually, I think I can't. But um, the counseling booth is now closed, okay, for all that. But you've, you've been there, haven't you, where you felt like spiritually you got off track for a little bit? Listen, when you get spiritually off track, that doesn't have to be the end of the story. That does not have to be. Sin never has to be the end of the story. There is a path back to God. And I want to talk to you this morning in just the last few minutes about how you can court the Holy Spirit, and either stay close to him or make your way back into that relationship with him that can restore your soul and your character. And the first is this. You have to, understand, you have to get real with the Holy Spirit. That's the first step in courting him, whether it's the kind of courting that says stay with me or whether it's the kind that says I'm, 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 I want to come back to you. Get real with the Holy Spirit. See, Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a life force He's not some distant God. He's an actual person with whom you and I get to have relationship if we want to, if we really want to. He's not kind of like a person. He's actually a person. So you have to begin to relate to him like you do the other persons in your life. And in any relationship, there are needs on both sides of the equation, meaning things that are necessary for us to continue in relationship. You've been in relationships, right, where the other person was needy, and you didn't want to stick around for much of that, did you? The Holy Spirit isn't needy, but he needs some things from you. He knows our hearts often better than we know our own. He reads our true intent and always responds to that regardless of what we say with our lips. He responds to the true intent of our hearts. He's not a jerk, so he doesn't prejudge us, but he isn't a chump, so he won't uh, draw close if we don't really want him to. Do you follow me there? He's going to react to the real you. And if the real you really wants to be close to him, then he will come close. He'll rush upon you. But if honestly, you really just kind of like your sin but don't want to feel quite so guilty, you can expect the Holy Spirit to stiff arm you. 
Thus saith the cliff. Okay, write that one down. I think it's pretty important. If you are trying to play with or manipulate the Spirit of God, he will stiff arm you and keep his distance. See, he needs us to make a real effort to be close to him because he won't be mocked by people who want to jerk him around and get what the Spirit gives without giving themselves wholly to him. He needs us to make a real effort to be close with him because he takes seriously our claims to love him. It also means that he can be grieved when our claims are greater than our faithfulness. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. He needs us to make a real effort to be close to him and he takes seriously our claims to love him so he can be grieved whenever our claims are greater than our faithfulness. And it's why later on in the New Testament, we are warned, do not grieve the Holy Spirit because he'll go somewhere else to grieve. Step number one, if you want to court the Holy Spirit, you want to be close to him, you got to get real with you and get real with God. You've got to because he's going to be real with you. Second step is this, speak to him daily. Oh man, there he goes again. Preacher says you ought to pray. I'm not telling you ought to do anything. I'm just telling you that if you want a close relationship with God, you want that to endure or you want that restored, you got to start talking with him. And you got to do that daily, not in some perfunctory fashion. It's not saying your prayers. It's pouring out your heart to him. Two things that I believe are equally true. Your heart needs to be poured out to God. He's probably the only person that you will feel completely safe being completely honest with every time. Your heart needs to be poured out to him. You need it. And his Holy Spirit wants it desperately because that's the real kind of close that he wants to have with you. You want to court the Holy Spirit? You got to get real with him. You need to speak with him daily. You need to invite him to speak and then stop and listen. This is the missing element in most people's prayer lives. We say all these things to God and this and this and this and do this and thank you and praise you and then out we go. Please do this and this and then go. And he never gets the chance to speak. If you want to court the Holy Spirit, you got to you got to spend some time inviting him to speak and then waiting before him. And listen, your heart will know his voice. There'll be some times when your, your brain's running all over the place. But as you begin to discipline your mind and say, no, I'm waiting on the Lord, he will make impressions upon your heart and your mind that you just realize, huh, that wasn't my bright idea. That was from him. You want to court the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to get real with him. You're going to have to speak to him daily. You're going to have to invite him to speak. And then you're going to have to courageously follow his promptings. Because remember that whole don't grieve and don't mock thing? When, the Holy, when you ask the Holy Spirit for guidance and he says, great, go do this, it's time to strap on some courage or fake like you got some for about 20 seconds and then take a step of obedience and watch the power from on high, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now flood into your life and make it possible for you to go and do the thing that your heart purposed to do in obedience to him. It probably won't come before you act the strength and the confidence, but as you step, we see that time and again in the scripture, as you make the step of obedience, as you courageously step forward, you will find the power of God's Holy Spirit follows and flows in the path that is cut by your obedience to him. 
And then the last step in courting the Holy Spirit is this. How would you like to have a guaranteed encounter with God? I mean, how, how, how would you like to have the Saul kind of thing where God says, where the, the, through, the, through the prophet, God says, hey, do this and this, and you're going to run into some, to the Holy Spirit. Remember, Saul ran into the prophets, and then, bam, Holy Spirit rushes upon him. How would you like to have a guaranteed encounter with God where you could know it's coming, recognize it when it happens? Here's the way this works. Read the scriptures. Because somehow, for some reason, God has married himself to this book. He has preserved its truth down through the ages. And in it, we, it, we find life. Breath, spirit, the spirit of God. I can't tell you that every single time I've read the Bible, I come away going, ooh, man, I'm so full of God, and so am I. There's some days, it's a little bit like chewing sawdust. But I find that by repeatedly walking the path that has been taught me, I repeatedly come to the place where I find the Spirit of God rushing upon me. Remember the the couple of stops that Saul had to make along the way before he got to the place where the prophet... Sometimes it's... It's two or three readings before that happens. But I'm just telling you what I've learned from the scriptures and what I've learned personally. It's this. There is a God who desperately wants to rush into your life. He wants to come full force, full bore. He wants to get his arms around you and he wants to go lockstep with you for the rest of your, the rest of your life. But you can grieve him. If, if you let your life just kind of distract you and if, if you let a life of ease become the thing that you pursue more than passionate spirituality, and if you defy him and disobey him, you'll find that the Spirit says, well, just we'll, let's do this the way you want to. And he'll back off and let you do your thing. But let those who are hungry and thirsty do what it takes to remain hungry and thirsty. And let those whose mouths, hearts, spirits are very dry this morning finding themselves hungry and thirsty again, heed the truth. Court the Spirit of God. James put it this way. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. We're going to stand and pray together, knowing this. That if you don't really want to be close to him, um, um, I've got good news for you. You won't be. He won't push in on you. But if you very much would like to be close to God, why don't you just pour out your heart to him this morning and watch what he does. Lord, we bow before you this morning. Some are starting to kneel. We're grateful that you're the kind of God who rushes, rushes in when we invite. Lord, thank you for patiently waiting for us while we were still trying to satisfy ourselves with all kinds of other things, you waited. You worked to put the pieces in place on the chessboard that would help us realize our need for you. Thank you for your gentlemanly conduct in waiting, but for working as well. I thank you that you have rushed into my life. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the wisdom and the want to Continue to court your blessed Holy Spirit. 
Lord, forgive me for the times that I've been half honest with myself and with you. When I've had a half-hearted desire for you. Forgive me for the times that I've dumped my laundry list and my Christmas list on you and run without pausing for a moment to hear what's on your heart for the day. Lord, this morning, I invite you to speak to me. Maybe my friends are asking the same. We listen for your voice. Keep speaking to us. This day, we call it the Lord's Day, yours. Because we intend to live it differently than we do all the rest of the week. Not in stark contrast, the difference between sin and righteousness, just that this day, we are not going to take care of all the other tasks of the week. We, we've carved out time for you today, and we ask as we continue to listen today, that you would continue to speak and that you would give us the courage that it takes to walk in obedience, to follow your promptings. Lord, I thank you that you forgive sin. I thank you that you make a path of restoration. Thank you for walking me back up it when I have Sometimes drifted and sometimes walked straight away. And as people in this sanctuary today pray that same prayer of repentance, turning back to you, I thank you for the assurance, the certainty that we read in the scripture that you, you just don't turn away from broken and contrite hearts. Thank you for receiving us back to yourself. Thank you for your keeping power that we purpose to take seriously from this point forward. What you've done for David, we ask you to do for us as we listen for the Spirit's voice, and as we submit to your ways in obedience, because you are our help. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All my friends, spend the rest of this day and the days to come courting the Spirit of God. Draw near to him. He will draw near to you. So may you experience his favor, his love, and his peace. Amen.